Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we need you. Even if we don't realize we need you. Because our our souls, our, our lives are are longing for fulfillment, for, for purpose, uh, for true joy, and we look for it uh, everywhere uh, but you. So I thank you for those of us here who are seeking you this morning. I thank you for those here who may not even realize they're seeking you, but uh, thanks be to God, you simply show up and overwhelm us uh, with your love and your grace and your mercy uh, and your joy, which is, is not of this earth and is the only thing that will truly and ever complete us and, and fill us. We need you, Lord, for healing. We need you, Lord, for life. And we thank you, Lord, that you, you give it. You give healing, you give life in by Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you all. You can have a seat. And uh, you can turn in your Bibles to Philippians. This would be Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Towards the, uh, it's towards the back of your Bible. Philippians 4, and I'm going to read verse uh, 11 through 13 in in just a bit. Uh, before I do that, have you ever known somebody, uh, known somebody in life, and you said, "Man, I, I want to be like them. Uh, I want what what they have. I don't know if I can explain it or articulate it, but I want what they got. Uh, I, w- I want to be like like them." This happened to me, uh, and actually, as a, a young man, who's well, not young anymore, but uh, a man who uh, had a hand in leading me to ministry, and I got to know him uh, when I was in college. And I remember the first two years, our first two years of college, and um, many of you know, and this is not a plug, but it was, just, it was at Ole Miss, so you kind of know the scene there, okay? Uh, not a plug. I'll, I'll give plugs, and you'll know when those occur. But they, uh, first two years, I mean, rock star partier, you know, just like, uh, really a, a brilliant dude. Um, he was pre-med. He could ace pre-med classes, which I could not. I mean, I didn't even start pre-med. So he could ace those classes and, you know, then party like a rock star. And, you know, we were, we were friends, but we were not that close. And, and then there was a time where we really didn't see each other. Uh, and I didn't know what was going on in his life. And then I, uh, I got reacquainted with him our senior year. And I didn't know it, uh, but a, a life change had happened to him where he had, uh, he had become a Christian. And so, and he would even say, he's like, you know, all, all those years, and he's, he's from Greenwood, so I'll, I'll let you, I'm not going to name his name, from Greenwood, he is a doctor now. But he's from Greenwood, raised in the church, and, but he didn't think he became a Christian until his junior year in college, Okay. So that's just a point I'll throw out. And so he was led to the Lord, um, and I got to know him, again, the senior year, my senior year, and I was just, just a person I was blown away by. Uh, one, by his, um, 
his, his continual curiosity, he still wanted to know and learn more about like the things of the Lord, um, the things of this world, science, uh, being a physician, being a, a physician who was a Christian. I was blown away by his, uh, his kindness towards people. And, um, and I was, look, I, I was still drinking, and uh, I don't know if I'd call it partying like a rock star, but, you know, some might, okay? And I remember we would hang out, and some of his, uh, his roommates uh, were still there as well. And we were sitting up on, on their roof, okay? Sitting on their roof and uh, drinking beer. And somebody said, so-and-so, I won't name his name. You're not going to get drunk tonight. And he said, I don't need to get drunk anymore. I got something so much better. I remember it like it was, it was, like it was this morning, I'm saying that. And, and then, he, he, just to give you the rest of his life story, uh, instead of going to med school, he just worked at a Christian youth camp for a couple of years after college. And I'll, I'll never forget, like, other folks coming up to him, you know, who are on the climb the ladder success. Hey, man, what are you doing after college? Well, I'm working at such and such youth camp, you know. You know, it's kind of like that. They don't say it, but, I, you know, I thought you'd do something better with your life than that, you know. I mean, same thing I get when I tell folks I'm, I was going to be a pastor. I mean, you know, same deal. Now, uh, then he did go to med school, and after med school, he decided to work uh, 16 months in uh, Swaziland, which is in Africa, uh, to help uh, HIV/AIDS relief, treat them. Uh, and now he is a um, he is a practicing physician uh, at Emory. Uh, Lynn and I talk; we don't stay in touch as much as we should. But what I admired about him most was his uh, his contentment that I saw in him and. It was most evident, I wasn't able to go to the funeral, but his sister, who was three years younger than us, so she would have been a junior in college when she passed away. Okay? His sister, his only sister, his only sibling. And uh, I heard about him at the funeral that uh, he stood and and gave a testimony uh, saying something to the degree of, the Lord's hand is in this. Uh, this is his ultimate will because she knew him and loved him. And he is going to manifest his glory out, out of this. Some, something, that, I mean, people were, I remember saying, just highly moved. It was very profound. And I was like, man, where, where do you get that? Where do you get that? And this is when I was 22, 23. Where do you get that? Contentment. If I had to ask y'all, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, and you could not choose 5, okay, <laughs> not choose 5, uh, where would you be in terms of contentment? You know, 1 being, you know, I'm not content at all, 10 being, you know, I'm just at peace, whatever. Where would you be? Just a question to keep in mind. We're doing this series on the Ten Commandments. We call it Follow. Because the Ten Commandments is really all about following Jesus. And we have seen over this summer, uh, through me and our other teachers, that uh, it is, uh, it's hard to follow Jesus. 
But today, uh, we're on what, what many call the hidden sin. It's not explicit. You don't see it at all. It's coveting. And coveting is the opposite of contentment. So let me just read, before Philippians, I know I told you to turn there, but let me read the commandment, and this is Exodus 20, 17. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Uh, Coveting is saying, I want that. I need that for life to be complete. Coveting could be what I just told you all about is that I want to be like him or her. Coveting is saying, I need this so I will have joy. I need that so my life will be complete and full. I need something someone else has or I just need this object. That object can be a person. Or a career, or toys. You can, you know, pick your poison, and we think it will fulfill us. And many of us know, and will continue to realize, because this is a hard, hidden sin, that it will not complete us or fulfillment. Contentment is the opposite, and it's really simple. Contentment is saying, I'm okay with who I am and what I have that again. Contentment is I am okay with who I am and what I have. Period. Contentment is is joy, is fullness, and saying I'm good. I'm good. How do we get that? How do we have that? Uh, Paul talks about this, but before I read this verse in Philippians, I want to say a few things. Coveting, get this, and this is a, a really a word kind of the Lord, I think, gave to me this week. We're in Honduras. I was thinking about this message. Coveting can rob a community or a church of revival. Like, what are you talking about there? Coveting can rob a church of revival. Uh, it could start easily uh, with the pastor preacher. Let me give you an example. If what I am coveting over and over again is y'all's approval, and and you know I'll be honest, so so I battle that, and if they're honest, all preachers do, but if if that is my MO 24-7, it's going to rob me of of messages and proclamations that the Lord puts on my heart. It's going to curtail the Holy Spirit, okay? So just give you a simple example talk about raise your hands, if I'm like, you know, I could stand here, eyes closed, so I'm not looking at y'all, raise a hand, you know, raise both hands, you know, I can let go, you know, begin to even feel viscerally something. I can say supernatural and not be worried if you think I'm a freak. I cannot be concerned about trying to entertain. I can let go. 
don't do that as often as I should. Because of coveting something of this world that will rob a church of revival. Let me take the light off me and go to y'all. In worship, in a sermon, in community, coveting can rob a church of revival because y'all will be like, I'm feeling something, but if I respond, you know, I'll be weird, uh, I'll be a freak, I'll, you know, you know, I'm not going to be cool. And I want people's approval, and I, and I want people to think I'm, I'm, you know, I'm okay, I'm normal. Rob's Church of Revival. Going to Honduras, last little example here for us, can rob a church of revival. The devil works in all things, and we could say, I want that that we had in Honduras, and yet we're here, and we're there for a week, and we got 51 weeks here, and we keep thinking, I wish I had that, but God's placed us here. It's why one of the devotions we had down there, I believe it may have been Brother Tabor, I don't know, or Brother Blair, or both of y'all were saying the same thing, shocker. But anyway, when y'all said that, you know, you could be missionaries every day. I mean, news flash. We don't need Honduras to have the Spirit here, he's already here, and be missionaries on this corner to this city. We are impacted, influenced, empowered there, but we're also impacted, influenced, empowered here. It's everywhere. And so when we get into this, and it's a trap, well, I wish I had that, then it curtails work that the Lord wants done here. Coveting can erode revival. So, what does Paul say? How can we move from coveting to contentment? Philippians 4, verse 11 through 13. Oh, and by the way, Paul's writing this as he's in jail. As he's in jail right now. Verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I want to highlight four words in this passage that I think can bring us, hopefully a little bit more, maybe completely, to contentment. Uh, The first one is learn. It's interesting that Paul uses uh, learn. He doesn't use, uh, he doesn't say here, I've been changed, which he has, But he doesn't say, you know, I I have these emotions. He says, I have learned something. I've learned something. And this is a word that, and honestly, I didn't think I was even going to use the word learned. I had three S's. But anyway, the Lord said, throw in this learn. Because, see, we're saved in a moment. If you've been saved, it happens in a moment, in a second. It's not a gradual process. But discipleship, growing into being a disciple which includes contentment, is a process. 
And so we got to learn some stuff. It's like learning life lessons, learning that the things we seek uh, will not fulfill us and complete us. As, ex- as excited as some of us are about football season coming up, it will not complete us, you know. Mid-January will come, okay? Um, the worst sports time of the year, from Super Bowl to March Madness, you know, amen, will happen. You know, those things will not complete us, okay? And we have to learn some things. And to learn them, get this, you can learn some by yourself, but you need others. There is a reason Jesus had 12 disciples. There is a reason for the church that it's plan A, there's no plan B. There's a reason that it's not just like individual meeting times with Christians and a a mentor pastor-type figure, there's a reason we gather together that you learn from others in community, in worship, in small groups, on mission trips. You've got to learn from one another. So my, my word for those of y'all who have newly had that moment is it's going to be a process, and you've got to surround yourself with people who can help you learn how to walk in this Christian life. And that's why we're here. That's why I do what I do. That's why our staff does what we do. That's why we want to raise leaders, our mission. Okay? Now, he says he's learned in whatever situation. And this is real simple. Whatever situation. We will always find ourselves in one of two situations in life. Always. See the one of two. One of two. You're either in need or in abundance. Let me say that again. No matter job, place, country, time you were born, raised, living in, you're either in need or you're in abundance. So those are the two situations. If we are in need, contentment reminds us that God provides. If we are in abundance, then contentment reminds us that only God will satisfy. The abundance won't. True contentment in Christ. In need, we know He provides. He's going to provide. In abundance, we know this, this is like fool's gold. The Lord satisfies. Those are the two situations. That's what contentment can teach us in those. Then go down. Paul says, I know how to be brought low. Verse 12, I know how to abound in any every circumstance. I've learned the secret the secret. Uh, this is something I could give a big amen to, that contentment, it's a secret. It is, it's elusive. It is, I want to be content, but how is that person content? How, how, do, I, how do I get this? How do, how do I have it? How do I find it? There, there's a secret. And, and, I, and I believe that, honestly, I believe this is the secret. Here it is. All the good things in life that we celebrate... Uh, that, that fulfill us, that, that we love from uh, family uh, to kids uh, to uh, good food to good drink to good sporting events uh, to hunting or fishing or, or whatever it is, it's your deal, it's, it's your gig that you love to fulfillment and work. All, all the good things, like, man, that is good. That is an appetizer to the main course, which is God. Who created all those things? God. 
Who wants a relationship with you? God. Who plans an eternal destiny for us? God. And our, our real trap we fall into is we make those good things the ultimate things. And that is called idolatry. There's a reason, if you go back to Exodus 20 and look, that the two bookend commandments, do not have idols, do not covet. Because what we do is we make that really good thing the ultimate thing. So we think the appetizer is the main course, and it's not. Whether you call it heaven being the main course, whether you call it a taste of heaven here in relationship with God, whether you call it the Holy Spirit and the power of God, just being in the presence of the Lord, which can happen moment by moment, day by day, in your quiet time, in a church, that's the main course. And it goes on into eternity, whether that is in heaven or heaven on earth when Jesus returns. And we think the good things here are like, that's, that's it. That's the secret. That's the secret. Let's make God the end. And often we make Him the means to an end. We're like, hey God, I, I want this, so can you get me that? And often that's, that's a lot of our Christian relationship. We make the God the means, not the end. Last thing, one of the most famous verses. Uh, it's a verse that's on my grandmother's uh, tombstone. Love her. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let me ask you a question. Do we live on our strength or his strength? We want to say his strength. Many of us, and I'll throw myself in here, okay? We live like practical atheists. I am not, not an atheist. And I wouldn't say I'm an atheist. We live like one. Hey, what do you mean? We live on our own strength, and we live like this world is the end. We live on our strength, what we can do, what we can accomplish, what we can get done, whether by our gifts or by our Rolodex. And we really live like this world is the end. We, we really do. I battle that. Instead, we need to live on his strength and that this world is not the end. I, um, I want to read you all something I came across uh, in this preparation. It is, uh, it's by a Christian. It's not a pastor. Um, it's actually by a lady uh, who writes uh, for the Wall Street Journal um, named Peggy Noonan. Uh, I know some of us uh, read her. She is a Christian, and she wrote this in 1992, though. Okay? It's very interesting. She writes, I think we have lost the old knowledge that happiness is overrated. That in a way, life is overrated. We have lost somehow a sense of mystery about us, our purpose, our meaning, our role. Our ancestors believed in two worlds and understood this to be the solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short one. We are the first generations of man that actually expected to find happiness here on earth. And our search for it has caused such unhappiness. The reason... If you do not believe in another, higher, greater world, 
If you believe only in this flat material world around you, if you only believe that this is your only chance at happiness, if that is what you believe, then you are not disappointed when the world does not give you a good measure of its riches. Instead, you are despairing. It's how many of us live. This world is the end. We know from Sunday school that there's another world, but we live for this world. And C.S. Lewis said it more simply than Miss Noonan. He just said, we're made for another world. Period. And so, as I said, raise your hands, raise your gaze, church, whether you're bellwether or not, raise your gaze that you are made from another world, that we will have everything and more than we can fathom in that world, and that we can have a taste, a slice of that world in this world, but we won't have it fully unless the Lord returns while we're still here. But we will have it. We will have it. We can be content in that. We can know our future because our future is clear. Our future is assured. There is no mystery to the future. Last story, uh, and we're going to sing and take communion. How to have contentment. How to, how to get contentment. We're going to sing it as well. One of my favorite hymns. Some of you know, because I've said this story before, and we'll say it, you know, until I go to glory, uh, at least a couple times a year. The backstory behind It Is Well. It's a powerful story. It's written by a man named Horatio Spafford. Interesting name, Horatio Spafford. He's in Chicago, did extremely well in business, in real estate, uh, and then just about lost everything in the Great Chicago Fire of 1873. Lost it all. Did have four daughters and a son and a wife. Happy family. The son uh, died, tragically. Then to get some rest, uh, they planned a trip to Europe. But because of some business dealings, Horatio had to stay in Chicago. His wife and four daughters went ahead of him on a steam liner. Because of turbulent weather, turbulent seas, there was a shipwreck, and Horatio got a telegram from his wife that said simply two words, saved alone. All four girls perished. He took another steamer across the Atlantic to meet his wife. On that ship, he penned the words, It is well. It is well with my soul. The story goes on, though, get this, that they had three other children, and two of the three died in infancy. And yet, ultimately, he and his wife went to Jerusalem and started a children's hospital that lives to this day serving the needs of infants. It is well, it is well. When we raise our gaze, when we know there is a bigger, greater story that we are honored to be part of, 
when we realize that this world is not our home, but this world is our mission for however long we've got, we begin to have, I'll use this word again, a supernatural commitment. We begin to desire God's approval over man's approval. We begin to get this, this sense that I live for Jesus, not anybody else. And then I guarantee you people will look to you and say, what, what do they have? And the Lord will use you in ways that we see, in ways we cannot for His kingdom. And that is possible in a moment, in a life, in a church service. Now, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you promised. I thank you for the work that you are doing that we can see and that we do not see. Thank you for the faith of these people. I thank you for the love of Jesus that covers both our sins, covers our relationships, covers our illnesses, covers this world. May we rest in that strength right now, today, grow in it by a church family. And use us as you see fit for a world that is in need of people of contentment, people of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.